0: You're listening to a DM podcast. Yeah, and it's so funny because when I was chopping and changing these jobs, I used to get so disheartened because I was like, I'm never going to succeed because I haven't stuck to like one distinct path and I haven't followed it through and worked my way up. I've gotten so far and then I've changed and started from the bottom again and in a completely different industry. And now looking back, it's so weird because I'm like wow, I need all of these skills that I've had from every single one of these jobs, like even as far back as PR, like I send out press releases for the podcast and no one else was really doing that. And I just know how to, because I've been on the other side with the journalists, they don't have time to listen to a podcast, so they need a press release. So even stuff like that and the radio stuff too, like I used to work for Carl and Jackie O, so I saw how they put a show together. I saw how they booked guests. I saw what they needed to make to get that content so it's yeah it's really crazy like looking back I'm like wow this was all like leading me to this.
1: G'day and welcome to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Anthony. I'm Jules and today we're talking with the Queen Tea Spiller who's taking time out of her incredibly busy schedule to talk to us about her cult podcast So Dramatic. Megan has been doing this for a year and the show is absolutely blowing up, fueled by the stranger than fiction life of Australian reality stars. So, Megan, tell us, what is so dramatic?
0: So it is basically now just a reality TV gossip podcast. And I think the point of difference is the fact that all of the content is exclusive. So I'm not rehashing other stories. I'm not like discussing news of the week and giving my opinion on it. I'm actually giving new stories, like exclusive content that no one else has. So that's, I think, has been really vital in like setting the podcast apart from others and also the fact of how quickly it's grown because of that element because the content is so original, I guess.
1: And you have journalistic uh, roots, really, didn't you? You studied at Charles Sturt Communications? Yeah,
0: I studied at Charles Sturt in Bathurst. And then after that, I actually started out as a fashion writer. So I was covering like red carpets at fashion shows and things like that. So doing more lifestyle stuff. And then after that, I actually I started in PR. I started in fashion PR. Then I went to fashion writing. And then I started doing entertainment at Daily Mail, RIP. Um, <laughs> 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 Probably should cut that bit out. Um, and then after that, I went into like digital producing uh, for a number of like magazines and stuff like that. And then I went into radio and then yeah i've had a lot of jobs and then after that i went into like radio uh sorry after radio i went into print so i started doing print so i basically went backwards in terms of you know how like you usually start off in print and you graduate to, to like digital, digital. Yeah. i went backwards and then i started doing um print stories for magazines so that was finding a lot of the exclusive stuff which i'd also been doing at daily mail but kind of had a break when i was doing the digital stuff and then yeah, started doing that for the magazines, and then I left there. That's a story in itself. Probably don't have time to go into that. Um, we can, we can go. <laughs> <call it on. laughs> we can
1: always cut. But
0: um, basically, just like super, super sexist, super competitive industry. Like I had like male editors say to me because I, I think when I started, I had a lot of the people in the magazines like you just make stories up. Like honestly, new idea on Woman's Day, you literally sit there in meetings and you're like okay, what are we going to do today? Like, should we have Meghan Markle, like, pregnant or should we have her divorcing? Like, it's literally creative writing. Yeah. Um, and I don't like to do that. Like, I'm And then the sort of that.
1: source friend of a friend or yeah, something like that. You,
0: you make it up. And i found that really hard because I never had a problem, like, getting my own stories and I like telling stories. So I found, like, making it up just, like, I'm like, what's the point of this, you know? Like, so I would source all my own stories and I would focus on the reality TV content, Um. But yeah, I had a lot of editors, because in the first three months I was there, I had like a story at Woman's Day published on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. And they were like, this is so weird. We've never had like this type of response or coverage. Like our stories never really, that never really happens. But then I had like a lot of people, I guess, I don't know if it's like jealousy or just like the magazine industry is like very fickle. People are like getting made redundant left, right and center. So everyone's worried about their jobs everyone's like scared of you know is this person going to replace me because they would fire like an editor and replace them with like a junior Mm. who's just started out because they're so much cheaper and they don't have any money so yeah I had like some male editors and some female people like high up say to me like you're only getting these stories because you're hot you're only getting these stories because you're female and you've got fake boobs like Literally said that to me. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So, and I was like, no, I work hard. Like, I would be working on the weekend when I was there to get to make sure that I had the content and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's just like disheartening because you think that hard work is rewarded and it's not. It's like seen as a threat. So, so yeah, that happened. And then there was like a rumor spread about me and that basically, and then I just left after that because yeah it was really messy and i just thought fuck this so and then i also figured out when i was there that we had like freelancers working for us and we would pay them like thousands of dollars just for one story or for photos and i was doing a lot of that there and you're on a salary like a full-time i was on a salary so it didn't matter if i just sat there and made up stories or if i got my own and i was thinking okay these people are making bank like they're making Mm -hmm. like thousand dollars off one story and i'm here every day every hour doing like a million stories. So I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna freelance. So then I started getting my own stories and selling them to like outlets all across the country. And I started working with a pap agency, so I would help them source content. So I would work with people direct and say, you can actually get paid to get these photos taken of you that they're, the paparazzi are making for free off you. So I would work with them and made the paparazzi's job easier because they knew where the people were going to be they made money, everyone was happy. So yeah, I started doing that and selling stories and writing for heaps of like ev- pretty much every publication in the country would buy the stories and started making like five times, t- sometimes 10 times what I was making in magazines. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. It was crazy money. Like you would, some story sold for $10,000 for one story.
2: Wow. If you're building a podcaster from the ground up, It's Your experience seems almost perfect. You've done your journalism degree, you've worked in digital, you've worked in radio, you've worked in newspapers, you've sourced your own stories. It seems like you've got all the skill sets to be successful. When we were researching this podcast, Jules and I were talking and one of the things that we think is there's not really any shows that are other podcasts that are competitors to yours because you're applying almost investigative journalism to reality. reality. TV, Yeah. Mm. And I don't think anyone else is doing that.
0: Yeah. And it's so funny because when I was chopping and changing these jobs, I used to get so disheartened because I was like, I'm never going to succeed because I haven't stuck to like one distinct path and I haven't followed it through and worked my way up. I've gotten so far and then I've changed and started from the bottom again and in a completely different industry. And now looking back, it's so weird because I'm like, wow, I need all of these skills that I've had from every single one of these jobs, like even as far back as PR, like, I send out press releases for the podcast and no one else was really doing that. And I just know how to, because I've been on the other side with the journalists, they don't have time to listen to a podcast, so they need a press release. So even stuff like that and the radio stuff too, like I used to work for Carl and Jackie O, so I saw how they put a show together. I saw how they booked guests. I saw what they needed to make to get that content. So it's, yeah, it's really crazy. Like looking back, I'm like, wow, this was all like leading me to this.
1: When did sort of podcasts come onto your radar and you start to think this could be a good avenue to kind of take all of those lessons and merge them into this kind of one stream where you've got a bit more autonomy?
0: The podcast was something that, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it, but I just had a lot of people telling me, no, like it's not gonna work, that's a bad idea and-
2: Haters. uh,
0: Yeah. And I just think people maybe they didn't see or maybe they didn't understand what I was getting at. Um, even when I was at Woman's Day, they started this podcast and like I asked to be to host it. Like me and the guy that I worked with, we wanted to like be involved, and they kind of shut us down and they just said no and like you you wouldn't be a good host and stuff like that. So now it's kind of like well,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels I think to your journey to someone like Shameless's journey as well, where mm. they got shut down. And then went out on their own. And as I said, "You're doing that thing where you're having these intelligent conversations about something that people think is fairly pop culture basic in mm. reality TV, but yeah. you're not report. You're reporting on it. You're not mm. commenting on it. You're not recapping. You're actually breaking the tea, right?"
0: Yeah, breaking the tea is like the most important part for me. But like when I started off, it was just purely the story. But now I think as people have gotten to know me and trust me and my judgment on these things. They do want more of my insight and commentary about it. But I do try to limit it because I know that a lot of people are just there for the tea. (laughs)
1: <laughs> do you want to talk us about the tea?
0: Oh, the tea. Which, <laughs> What do you want to know?
1: I guess everything. I mean, you said, you said before you've got just an abundance of tea in your DMs and everyone's yeah. sliding in there. I mean, how did you start to source this information and, and put the word out? Because I think, you know, as you were saying, you used to do a lot of the research yourself, but it sounds like you've created this audience who's kind of, you know, really helping you along with the content of the show. Yeah,
0: it's really evolved because so before this, I was obviously working really closely with contestants and they would give me a lot of the tea and I was really lucky. I had a lot of personal connections of friends that would go on these shows. So it would be people that I knew before. So they trusted me. And then it was like a word of mouth thing. They're like, no, she's cool. Like she'll help you like go to her. So that was really handy. So I've always had like really good intel because it's coming direct from the people. And then obviously like friends and family and stuff will reach out to you and things like that. Um, you do find have to find people too. But now I've got like this whole like army of people sending me stuff as well. So it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Screenshots of forever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's uh, like changed the content too because it's like now it's just like you've got the contestants tea and then you've got like family and friends reaching out, people who know them. So it's just like covering all bases really.
2: And it feels like everyone likes to be a bit of a detective. If they spot yeah. something, they really want to send it into you and get yeah. it out there.
0: And that's another thing. I tried to make it really fun with the segments doing that and stuff so it's not just, like, boring. It's not, like, just a, I don't know, some of the podcasts, it's, like, it's very news-based. I try to just keep it fun and entertaining. Um, and at the end of the day, like, the shows that we're reporting on, it's not hard or serious news. It is entertainment so... For the podcast not to be entertaining as well, it would be a bit weird. But yeah, the fun segments like the detective one now everyone's like really invested in that, <laughs> wanting to send in. And you would be so surprised like the the stuff that people send in, it's like crazy. It's like FBI levels. Right. Like these people go to extremes. Like I don't even think I would be. You're bothered not caught up in any that. kind
1: of news corp sort of phone tapping or anything like this. I.
0: Sometimes it gets to that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is there? Do you ever have to draw the line? on stuff that you're not gonna put out and what is the line, Um, I guess? And you don't have to answer that question.
0: (laughs) Um, like I'm pretty savage. I just put it all out there mostly. And I think some things that I've put out there, I probably shouldn't have, but that's all like part of learning as well. Cause it's hard, like I'm just a one person show. I don't have someone saying, you know, like that level of, you probably shouldn't do that type of thing. Like a, what is it called? Like a barrier. A safety net, I guess. Um, So some things probably, because I am quite savage and I would put things out that I probably legally shouldn't, but I haven't had any legal... Well, I had a few legal letters, but nothing too serious yet. Well, I've
1: heard other ones where you've, you know, broken some news or spilled some tea or whatever, and then people have hit you back and then you've been able to kind of get your retribution a few episodes later when it (laughs) has actually come out. (laughs) Is that that must be pretty gratifying?
0: Yeah, and at the start, everyone was like, because the tea was so good. I guess everyone is like, this is fake. That couldn't be true. And then over time, now people trust me because they've seen. They're like, well, Megan's tea always comes true. Like <laughs> she's she's always right. So that's good. Now that I've got that level of trust with the listener, they actually believe everything that I say. Whereas, like, if you go to like a new idea or something, you just know that it's it's not. And they probably thought that's what they were getting when they came to the podcast, but. Everything that I put on the podcast is from like a reliable source. Um, you do get some dodgy sources, I guess, sometimes giving you a bad tip off, but like the information's correct unless mm. it's from a dodgy source or it's a bit of Chinese whispers as well. There's like an element of truth and then it gets stretched over time. But, you know, you just have to give your put your judgment to that and figure out and verify it with other people. And usually it's fine.
1: In terms of interviews, I've heard you speaking to... Family members of, of contestants on maths or friends or, or whatever, do you kind of have a bit of a like a process about approaching them and, and seeing whether or not they'd be right for speaking on the podcast? Or is there any kind of like precautions or anything you take in that regard?
0: Yeah, I I'm really selective with the type of interviews that I put on the podcast, just because I think some don't really need an interview. Like some things just don't warrant a whole episode for an interview or stuff like that. Or it can be better explained through me. You just paraphrase it. Yeah, paraphrase it and add it with other information. So it's not always, I'll only do an interview if it's like a really good story that from start to finish that needs to be told. Um, A lot of the times I'll just source quote them. Mm. And some people aren't good at interviewing or it's like a really touchy subject and stuff like that or they don't want to be interviewed.
2: Gotcha.
1: Has your technique kind of evolved? Do you see that in yourself or hear that in yourself? Because I think listening to these, it sounds like you're just kind of talking to an old friend, really, like when you're speaking Mm -hmm. to them. Yeah, you've got a good way of somehow building a
2: safe space and and getting good rapport.
0: Oh, like with the interview? Yeah, Yeah. interview technique. Yeah, it's so funny because when I was at other outlets, they were like, you need to... Like I got criticised for speaking to my sources, like becoming too friendly with sources and stuff like that, and I'd always check in on them after, and I really cared about them and how they felt after the story was broken and the whole process with them. I was quite invested in checking in on them and stuff like that. And editors would say like, you're just there to get a story from them. Like you just get the story and that's it. You don't have to speak to them again. Like you don't have to become their friend, just get the story and that's it. And I always got criticized for that. They would say like, these people aren't your friends. Like you don't, you don't have to like hang out with them. You don't have to like talk to them. And I think that was the one thing that like, it's been a, saving grace for me because people can see that I am genuine Mm. like and I do care about them and I'm not just going to use them for a story and that's also been really like satisfying as well because I'm like I just trusted my gut I kept doing what I thought was right and it's worked in my favor because people yeah they do feel like I guess they're talking to a friend and they can trust me.
2: It really comes through in your interviews. How do the networks feel about you and the production houses? <laughs> are they lent into the fact that you're actually generating more interest in their yeah. shows or are they still oh, on that sort of cease and desist level?
0: No, they don't get it. <laughs> like, really? I, Yeah, I've had so many legal letters from networks and I just ignore them.
2: Um, <laughs> well, we, So Jules and I are both big NBA fans. Um, so we love basketball, and there's two people who are sort of in a similar role to what you do. Um, one guy's called Shams, another guy's called
1: Woj, and they their whole life is built around breaking stories before they come out. Mm. But similar to you, keeping those relationships going and not, I suppose, like not using someone for a one-off scoop or whatever, and and maintain that control and maintaining that kind of friendship so they feel com- comfortable and they can keep coming to you with you know mm. their yeah. side of the story, really. And, and it took them a few
2: years to work out, or they took the. The league NBA, a few years to work it out. And then ESPN end up hiring one of these guys and making him sort of a centerpiece talent they built around and going, wait, this is actually driving interest in our shows or in our content and lent into it.
0: Yeah. And you never know when you're going to need someone again. Like I've had sources where I stayed in touch with them and I checked in regularly. I followed them on social media um, and, you know, I'd call them a friend, a work friend, I guess. Um, And, you know, they gave me info about something and then. Two years later, they're on a show and they're like, hey. (laughs) So you just never know when. And I don't know, I just can't work like that. I just couldn't use someone for a story and then discard them. Like I genuinely care about everyone that helps me with the stories because I wouldn't have anything without them. But yeah, in terms of the network, they send me cease and desist all of the time. I guess they feel threatened that I'm going to spoil their storylines and reveal things before the show. And they think that people aren't going to watch because yeah. they've heard it on the podcast, but it's the, actually the opposite. People are then so much more invested. They're like, wow, this sounds really juicy. I'm going to watch it now. But they just cannot get their head around that, which is so backwards. Like,
2: mm. And the cease and desist were all around sort of having talent, I guess, in your old model when you were talking to the talent or the stars of the show. Using that word loosely, were breaking their confidentialities by talking to you. Yeah, yeah. But now it's a different world where you're just breaking stories. They, so. they,
0: they are not meant to talk to media, which I guess is in their contract. But like since the beginning of time, people have been talking to media secretly, and you know I would never reveal who my sources. Are. I'd never dob them in. So they are safe to do that. But yeah, it is I guess breaking contracts. So they would send me cease and desist saying you're basically making them break their contracts but i just don't know why they should be on board because i had a lot of people message saying i'm only watching this show because i'm listening to the podcast and i want to follow what's happening so especially with the bachelor like the bachelor's dying and last season the ratings were so abysmal like i was drumming up a lot of publicity for free yeah. and i don't get access like every other outlet does they have access and designated interviews with these people and i don't get any assistance at all yeah so,
1: oh, you just need some future forward thinking person in those yeah. networks maybe to kind of get behind day. it. Yeah, it's still old media mentality. Yeah. Isn't it? just. It's, it's. I mean, they're so heavily edited, these shows. I imagine the people who are on there must be so desperate to kind of get their side of the story across on, on what really happened. Because, I mean, you look at this, these shows, like MAFs in particular, and I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm okay admitting that. But it is one of the best edited shows, I think, you know, around. It's just amazing the little cutaways and the things that they do to just really kind of you know, intentionally, it seems like stitch these people up from time Mm -hmm. to time. So do you get a lot of people who are just like, this is absolutely not how I've been portrayed or they left 80% of it, you know, on the cutting room floor, that seems to be something you hear a lot. Is there, do you think there's a lot of truth to that?
0: Yeah, I would say like 95% of my interviews are people who are like angry with their edit. (laughs) So I just, I just let them edit them badly. And, you know, I always contact the contestants and say, you'll need me, like, <laughs> I like you better start working with me because you'll eventually need me. And they're like, no, I'm fine. And then they see how they've been edited because even good people on the show who are like, no, I was fine, I did everything right, they've got nothing on me. And then they see themselves on the TV and they're like, this is so fucked, like, that wasn't me at all. And they're like, help. So... Yeah, I do help a lot of people, I guess, like with their edits and get the truth out there, which I, that's the most rewarding thing for me because yeah. I would hate to be on TV and be portrayed different to how I am and have the whole country thinking... Like you're this person that you're not. Yeah, I love like getting the truth out there in that element.
1: Do the shows kind of evolve along the way as the audience is exposed to these people and they say, okay, everyone's really responding to this kind of aspect of this character. Let's really push that you know, narrative a lot harder ongoing. Or do they sort of have a lot of them banked and ready to go and?
0: Oh, like with editing, like yeah. until the last minute. Yeah, they do that. Sometimes they'll change the edit. They'll re-edit sh- uh, shows to include different things. They did that a lot last season. There was like a lot of backlash. I think they've actually done it... They did it last week, actually, on Married at First Sight. There was a lot of backlash about Bryce and just the behavior that was being shown on TV because, like, I'm all for putting bad behavior on TV and calling it out because, you know, I think that's important. But the fact that, like, the experts are not calling it out, they're just sitting there and they're actually downplaying what's happening, it'd be different if they were like, that's, like, really bad, but they say nothing, so they're kind of condoning it. So there was a lot of backlash last week and they edited the episode and the reason we knew that it had been edited really last minute was because the, f- the footage that they were using in the promo for months yeah was didn't feature in the episode so they cut it back a lot and they do do that depending on i guess the public and a lot some other people get screeners for the episodes and they'll yep. say oh the screeners aren't up yet um they must be editing it like up until the final minute
1: yeah it's it's really interesting i mean a lot of the, the behaviour is absolutely problematic and and toxic and everything that you see on there and it always surprises me that the experts don't play more of a kind of role in coming in and and sort of squashing that kind of behaviour when they see it if it was like an actual experiment Mm. what they sort of claim to be, you know you've got a real opportunity there to sort of show someone what is unacceptable behaviour and correct that along the way.
0: You know the, um, the experts on Married at First Sight have earpieces in contestants were telling me last week that, well I already knew this but just some new info, they were like they would pause before speaking and like get feedback in their ear about exactly what to say, and then they would do it. But they edit that out, so we're only seeing them respond immediately. It, right. Yeah. And so they're actually being told by the producer. So those experts, that's why one of them left last season because she was obviously like, this doesn't agree with me, this is not... They're just characters, they're yeah. just puppets. The producers are telling them, and the main producer on Married at First Sight is so problematic. She basically protects the misogynist of the season i guess and they they just want the ratings yeah. they don't care about the women being abused they don't care about the no, contestants well gets eyeballs right last year as well there was a lot of stuff with the contestants like there was sexual assault claims on like be happening behind the scenes there was people having mental breakdowns um there was someone who had like their drink spiked and they asked to see a doctor and they said no like there's some like really dark stuff going on behind the scenes of these shows, and it's just crazy that they are able to get away with that.
2: Back to the experts for a second. I mean, what's your credibility after being on that show as well? Because what's the success rate on people actually staying married? Just like two couples. Yeah, yeah that's like right. So I'm an expert hundreds. matchmaker, really? I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, crazy. got the producers' hand up your bottom.
1: <laughs> Have you ever tried to uh, get interviews with any of the producers or people behind the show or anything like that? To get their take on things? No,
0: it's not really my vibe. No. I don't really... (laughs) That'd be like batting for the other team. I like... (laughs) No, I like the contest... I like talking to the contestants. I feel like the producers are my enemies.
2: I like that structure. (laughs) So podcast, what was the tipping point for you starting the podcast? You had all the naysayers, etc. But when did you go, forget it, I'm doing it?
0: COVID. COVID hit and every... I was making really good money um, before COVID, like crazy money. And I just started doing that. And I was like, yes, like I'm killing it. And then COVID hit and I'm like. Straight up. Yeah. So I was doing the freelance stuff for about a year and just starting to like hit the ground running with that. And then COVID hit. And all of the media outlets didn't have any money for freelancers. They were making people redundant left, right and center. So they. They didn't even have money for their own staff, let alone to pay a freelance for these stories. And not only that, no one really cared about reality TV. They just cared about COVID. So I had no income and I still had all of this tea and all of these stories. And I'm like, I don't want them to go to waste because I hate wasting tea. (laughs) So I was like, I'll just do the podcast during COVID and just see what had like I'd always wanted to do it. And I was like, I'll just do it now. And I never expected it to take off like it did.
1: Uh, did you have any kind of practice runs on getting the format right or or like how you wanted it to sound and, and share that with anyone? Because I know we definitely had a few where we thought, okay, let's just give this a shot for a few episodes and see what it sounds like. And then, you know, heavily changed our kind of style based on that.
0: Yeah, I recorded a first episode at home and it was so bad. The audio quality was horrendous. Um, the format was crap. And I sent it to someone to edit it. And they were like, no, it's fine. All podcasts start off really bad. Um, You'll get better. And I just was listening. I couldn't even get through like a minute of it. And I'm like, this is so bad. If I can't listen to this, I can't expect the audience to. And I was just really mindful of like, you know, you're taking up a lot of people's time Mm. with the content, like it's 30 minutes of their day. You wanna make it good. You wanna make it enjoyable and easy to listen to. So I was really lucky. I had a friend who her husband has like a production company Um, they do podcast and video and stuff like that. And she works in radio. I worked in radio with her and I sent her the the one that I did. And I'm like, it's so bad. Please don't judge. But like, I just didn't know how to make it. The content was there, but the delivery and the format wasn't. And because audio was new to me, I had no idea how to do it. And she was like, you need to break it into segments. You need to have like three segments. You need to give them names. You need to break this up. You need to stop talking so much just get to the story get to the point and breaking it up in the formats really helped because it gave me some direction and some planning and I could be like okay that story needs to go there and then this segment is different and yeah it was um that was like instrumental to the success of the podcast I think the format and obviously I got them to produce it as well so it was expensive like it was a lot of money per episode to get someone to produce it but I thought this is a reflection of me professionally. I don't wanna put out something bad because that's gonna really reflect badly on me professionally. It's not just like I'm doing this as a hobby and I'm, I'm not working in media. Um, so yeah, that was really good to get it professionally edited, but I'm doing all of the editing now myself. Yeah. Well, so
2: what's your process then? Oh, uh, actually, so how did you actually launch a podcast? So you've got your production company now. How did you, what sort of promotion did you do around the first episode?
0: first episode i i just put it out and i just started promoting it on instagram and facebook actually uh, the thing that really helped the podcast was the facebook groups there's all of these like reality tv bachelor married at first sight fan groups on facebook and some of them have like 70,000 people in them (laughs) and like it's crazy. these It's crazy how invested people are in this type of stuff. There's just like such a hunger for this type of content. So I would share the episode in there and everyone wasn't really like they didn't really like it at the start. They were like, What is this? What's a podcast? Some people had never listened to podcasts before and they weren't really warming up to the idea of it. So I would start plugging it in there and on Instagram and I had like a lot of people helping me to share it and then after that. I had like a lot of um, reality stars in the first few episodes as well. So I guess they promoted it and it just kind of took off from there.
2: Yeah, it blew up pretty quickly, didn't it? Mm-hmm. What, you had Abby Chatfield on pretty early?
0: I had Abby in the second episode. So she obviously shared it and that got a lot of eyes on the podcast. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. And then there was an episode early on. I think it was maybe like episode six or seven. And I had Kiki and Renee. And that was like my, that's like my favorite episode of all time that I'm striving to like top (laughs) because Bachelor in Paradise canceled their reunion. They didn't do a reunion this year because of COVID. So I held like my own reunion and I got Kiki and Renee and another girl on and basically had a bachelor reunion. So that was, that like went viral. Like it was so crazy how many listens and how... Like it went up the charts and stuff like that. So that was also like instrumental.
2: Right. And in terms of now that you're producing it yourself, what's your process? How do you mm. prepare for an episode? Because I mean, it's it's a pretty, it's a high wire act. You're doing 40, 50 minute solo podcasts.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's a lot of planning and a lot of talking to people all week, checking DMs, doing interviews with contestants, transcribing that working out what week you're going to do it because you usually get a lot of the content and you have to divvy it out and stretch it throughout the season. So, you know, you're sitting on content from day one and you have to really plan and time it so that you beat other outlets But and it matches what's being played on screen. So a lot of it's timing, um, talking to people and, yeah, it's a a lot of prep. It's a lot of prep involved. Uh, And what's
2: your prep? Is it a Google Doc? Do you write bullet points? Are you scripting?
0: Um, I've got a Google Doc with all of the tea and stuff and then I basically work out what I'm going to do this week and then I write up all of the stories. So I do have a script that I read off because I couldn't do it without a script. Sometimes my script's like 20 pages. So I can't physically remember all of that information myself so i do need a script to go off because it's basically like i'm reading out news stories and then i just add in commentary and jokes throughout when i'm recording
2: yeah and you're often quoting things verbatim and you need to you can't misquote people
0: yeah exactly so
2: that's an incredible process and then in terms of you mentioned that an issue is breaking stories before having other people i guess getting your story out before someone else does so is that where you are sort of moving around release times and
0: yes That's why I'm always sometimes sometimes working till 4am the night before Mm -hmm. because, you know, just as I'm going to record, someone else might break the story or a similar story and things change right up until the last minute. I can't pre-record any of my content. It has to be done the night before. Even if I've done, I think one time I did it like the morning of and by the time I released it the next day, it was already like not stale, but it just wasn't up to date. So I like to do it right up until the last minute.
2: And then you've got a pretty intense social media audience Mm. as well. So how does that all – what breaks first? Where do you put things?
0: Oh, in terms of promoting the episode?
2: Oh, promoting the episode and how you're using that to break stories. Is it podcast first or you?
0: It depends. It depends what it is. It depends if it's going to hold for the podcast. So, If it's something that I know is solid and no one else is going to have it, I will save it for the podcast. But if it's something that I know might come out or it might be dated by then, I'll just chuck it on Instagram. So Instagram is like an entity in itself now. That's like a, a whole other, a whole other thing, I guess, because there's stories breaking on there, and then it's also promoting, cross promoting the podcast episodes. So, yeah, Instagram's like taken off. It's crazy. It's you
1: need more humans. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Is there a growth strategy for hiring people to get um, through the through all the tea?
0: There's not a strategy, <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to hire someone to help. Probably the first person I'll hire would be maybe a social media person because I don't really enjoy the social media side of it I'm all just like getting the exclusive content and you know scripting the podcast and stuff like that but yeah probably a social media person would be a big help because that's a full-time job in itself manning the Instagram page like I've got thousands and thousands of unread DMs like it's crazy What's
1: it like with uh, the sort of reliance on social platforms like Instagram and Facebook and everything? I know a lot of people have been shut down recently. Have you ever had any trouble there?
0: I'm currently banned on Facebook. And yesterday I got a notification saying if I get one more report on Instagram, I'm going to be banned on there too. No. Yeah. So, and I put a really spicy video up yesterday and it got taken down. So, yeah, it's like even at the moment not being able to promote on Facebook, I've noticed a huge drop in my listens because some people don't listen to every episode. They just see things and they're like, oh, that looks interesting yeah. or oh, that looks juicy. I'll go and listen. So that's really affected me. And that's been the whole time during Married at First Sight. So I'm kind of devoed that I haven't been able to promote it and spam people as much as I would have liked.
2: And that's Facebook as opposed to your Facebook group?
0: Yeah, so there's yeah. a Facebook page which I post the content on with like a link to the episode. It's kind of like highlights from the episode. So I'll say this person came on and said this. If you want more details, check out the podcast. And then I'll share that into all of the reality TV groups. And so that will reach mass mass audiences. But then I've also got my own Facebook group, which has grown so much as well. And that is an entity in itself too. That's a full-time <laughs> yeah. job managing that. So
2: and you've got you do live watch parties and things like that in yes. the group. Yes.
0: Every yeah. episode we do a watch party so we're all watching the show together. It sounds super lame, but it's so fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when I tell people they're like, "Wait, you sit there and like discuss the show with strangers?" But it is so fun. We basically just comment on this thread and we just like make jokes and like sassy banter and it's like so much fun. Did
1: you find after I mean you started the podcast during COVID? when all the restrictions eased, were you walking down the street and people you know, rushing up to you trying to get some tea or get um, some tea? Do you even get out of the house?
0: <laughs> no, I never leave the house. <laughs> I'm like chained to my to my computer. Um, I've had some people come up to me and I've been out sometimes and they're like, oh my God, I've got tea for you. And I'm like, not tonight. <laughs> Let me live. But yeah, I don't really go out of the house much, to be honest. I don't really have a life.
2: And you've started a Patreon though.
0: So, that was started last night because my spicy video got deleted from Instagram. Although it was still running on every single other outlet who took it from my page and put it on their pages, and it was still up on theirs, which is just so annoying because I mean, I guess I've just got a lot of haters out there constantly reporting my page. So, the video got taken down and then my account got banned. So, I had to start a Patreon last night. So, I'm probably just going to put all this really, really hot like juicy stuff on there because instagram and facebook's laws at the moment are so tough you can't really even like i'm banned i got banned on facebook for saying i was a comment during a thread or something i said oh i hate that man or something like that and they they flagged it as hate speech like they just they cannot differentiate between what is like a joke and what is actual threats so yeah it's crazy
1: it kind of seems like if they're taking you down you wonder what other stuff they are taking down you know which is serious i don't know i mean <laughs> are they focusing on the wrong things perhaps
0: yeah what's well, crazy i've got accounts impersonating me using my name and image mocking me all of this crazy stuff and i report those pages and they don't even get taken down and i'm like but you deleted this stupid video so it doesn't make sense to me
1: so tell us just quickly about patreon i mean what does that give you that you know other platforms didn't
0: i guess security like of not being banned for the content. So I'm probably gonna have to play it really safe on Instagram and Facebook now that I have been banned. Cause if I get one more violation on Instagram, the whole account is gonna be deleted. So I just don't wanna take the risk. So yeah. I'm just gonna put any content that I think may be flagged on there. And I've had a like a quite a good response to it already cause Australians just don't wanna pay for content at all. So considering that it's been quite a good response, I think people are happy to support a show that they like, I guess.
2: Well, it seems like good value yeah. like 450 a month mm. for all the tea
0: Yeah, It's a
2: cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And so this season of maths best one yet or
0: I'm loving it. Are you?
1: I'm loving it. It's
0: such a good season. Like it's so good. So many good storylines, so many good characters. Um yeah, I would say it's one of my favorite seasons so far.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that we're playing gone for weeks you just forgot like these guys
0: offered so much at the this time oh, no. yeah. like, like
1: come on give us a little bit more before you yeah i don't know i don't want to say vanish but you know <laughs> they milk, never vanish. Them. yes they stay in our lives and our social scene forever you spend a lot of time podcasting and and looking after the social accounts and everything do you have any time to listen to any podcasts you know in the free time that you do have
0: you know what? i'm so bad i don't really listen to anyone else <laughs> i do there's a few i listen to but you know, and even before the podcast started, I didn't really listen to podcasts. I'd listened to some crime ones like Serial and Teacher's Pet, but I wasn't like a, you know, a daily listener. So, and I think I prefer it like that because I don't listen to any Australian podcast, just putting that out there, um, because I don't want to be influenced by their content. So the ones that I do listen to are like American ones, just so I'm not Influence because like even similar ones like that recap the same shows like not here to make friends and stuff I had to stop listening to that because I didn't want to my jokes to be influenced I didn't want to like feel like I was copying if we had a similar take on something so I just stopped listening and probably the one I listen to most now is my best friend's podcast Jacques he's it's called Unpopular he's really good he does pretty much not what I do because it's more like commentary and hot takes on things, but it's American content. And I don't even watch any of the shows he's talking about. I don't watch housewives or anything like that. And I'm still enjoying the content. So
2: I think the only one I listened to, we interviewed a producer from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah, that was fascinating. That's a really good good listen.
0: And it's crazy because I don't listen to those shows where I'm not invested in the characters. And he's had like housewives on, and I'm like, this is so interesting. So he's a really underrated podcast in the country. Like he needs to get out there more. So plug for him. (laughs) But he's like my go to podcast now. Like I listen to his first, and then after that, probably I listen to stuff like. Call her daddy or like Sophia with an F or like Heather McDonald sometimes, although kind of gone off that one. Um, You know what I listen to the most? Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) I've never
2: listened to that. Oh my God,
0: it's so good. It's like uplifting, inspirational spiritual stuff which probably is a bit off brand for me but yeah that was my (laughs) go-to podcast for a long time
2: we all need our safe space right yeah and uh, any advice you'd give to anyone looking to start a podcast
0: don't do it (laughs) (laughs) stay out of my lane no like don't like it's so much work like I think people they probably just look at me and think oh this is really easy because she's just doing it all on her own and like I think I do make it look easy but the reality is like it's not easy it's fucking hard I haven't had a day off in eight months. It's working every day. It's like editing up until four o'clock in the morning. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of things involved that people don't see. So I would just say be really prepared to work hard. And a lot of the podcasts don't make any money for a couple of years. So you have to really be, you have to love it to want to, to, want to do it.
1: It's good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for your time.
0: Thanks for having yeah. me. Do you want to plug
1: any Instagram channels or anything like that
0: you can you can follow my shadow band instagram account (laughs) if you can find it (laughs) at so dramatic podcast with an underscore and the underscore really pisses me off but (laughs) it is what it is and then on facebook it's just so dramatic podcast and yeah